Down the Line Podcast with Tyler Hunt. It's storming outside because Brian Kelly's just raining in these recruits. That's a go, Tigers. You know, Joe Burrow, he was the one. (laughs) What's Brian Kelly going to do? I don't know. And now your host of Down the Line, Tyler Hunt. Hello and welcome to episode number 147 of Down the Lines. On today's episode, I am going to be not breaking down the non-conference games because I took a look at them, and that slate's pretty terrible. But I will say a couple of things that you can uh, get out of those games, possibly. But really, this is a good time with fall camp starting a couple of days ago, uh, number 18 being awarded, uh, big five-star commitment this weekend. Uh, kind of a update on LSU, where we stand what is this, three Saturdays from college football starting? So, let's get into it. We're going to start off with the non-conference games because that's what I said today's podcast was going to be about. And let me tell you real quick. So, Southern, the one thing that we're going to try to get from Southern. So, there's two ways you can look at this game. You're going to be coming off, hopefully, a win against Florida State. If that's the case, then that game's going to be all about getting young players more experience, getting uh, whoever the starting quarterback is uh, more comfortable, possibly opening up the offense a little bit, but kind of going forward answering questions. Now, if you're coming off of a loss, now the game gets pretty interesting. You're thinking about maybe playing more than one quarterback, uh, maybe playing a couple of different people that maybe not didn't, didn't work out in the first game. I don't know. Southern's going to be a bad football team. You should be able to go in that in that game under a first-year head coach and have your way with them. After them, we got New Mexico, the Lobos. That's a terrible team. There's a very terrible team. And after playing Mississippi State, it's going to be the same thing. If you're coming off of a win, just keep the momentum going. Get a win. Don't get anybody hurt. If you're coming off of a loss... Some questions are going to have to be answered, but you're going to win that game no matter what, pretty much. So, those two games are going to be pretty much going to be walkthroughs. UAB, however, that is a that is a scary game. That is going to be coming after a road trip to Arkansas and before a road trip to oh no, Texas A&M is coming. I lied. Before a road trip to Texas A&M. That's what I thought. And UAB is a team that, I don't know if you remember, they discontinued their football team in the 2015 and 2016 season. And since it has come back, they haven't had a losing season. Their first season back, they were 8-5. and five, And since then, each year has been better. 8-5 and five or better. Last year, they were 9-3. and three. That is a good Power 5 program. Now, they're not a Cincinnati, obviously. They're not going to the playoffs, but that's a scary game late in the season. And if they're once again nine and two, nine and three this year, that'll be a, a game that, depending on how the season goes, could be very scary. If you're going into the UAB game at 
four and five, the wheels are falling off. Now this UAB team could come into Baton Rouge, beat you, and all hell is going to break loose in Louisiana. Now, if you're six and three, seven and two, and you feel real comfortable about the season because you lost close to Alabama or you lost close to Tennessee, things of that nature, then UAB is going to be a tough game to uh, to play, but should be one that you win. So the non-conference slate, Florida State, as I said on the last podcast, you can go check that out, was it, it, it's going to be a good game. And really both of those programs are kind of on the same level, both Power 5 teams. That's the games you, that's the games you want to play. The rest of the non-conference is pretty much how it is every year. You play one tough team and then three kind of walkovers. UAB's maybe maybe not so much. But that's why I didn't want to do a, 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 a breakdown of each of those teams individually because that probably would have been a waste of time. So moving on, um, fall practice has started. The Tigers are out on the field. Um, it's, it's the best time of the year. Uh, every team's going to go 12-0. and 0. Uh all the questions are about to be answered of who's going to start, who's going to play. Everybody's out there looking good as long as you don't have uh, injuries, major injuries pop up, then uh, everything is glass, glass is half full. Everything is positive and looking forward. And so far in camp, it has been very vanilla. They're, they're slowly getting into it. Kayshawn Boutte's out there running around. All four quarterbacks are out there. So you have all signs are, are looking great at the beginning of camp like they always are. Uh, one thing that is huge is the number 18 has been awarded to B.J. Ojolari, who is possibly the best player on this team. Um, if you ask anybody, best player in offense, Kayshawn Boot, he's number seven. Best player on defense, B.J. Ojolari. Now, Jay Ward or Allie Gay could also take a, a, a state in uh, take a stake in that claim. But B.J. Ojolari, he was at SEC Media Days. He's somebody the coaches rave about. He's somebody that's preseason All SEC lists. B.J. Ojolari, he led the team in sacks last year. He's primed for a huge season. He's on a uh, a slew of preseason awards watch list. This is the, this is the right guy to give it to. Last year, you know, it was it was Damone Clark. You've had Christian Lockature, uh, just a, a whole list of some of the best players on the team, some of the best leaders on the team, and BJ Ojolari is that. And congratulations to him and continuing the eighteen legacy and. I don't think he's going to – I know that he's not He's not going to disappoint. B.J. Ojolari is on the field. He's going to probably lead the team in sacks, be close to the SEC leaders in sacks, and could very possibly be a first-round draft pick after the season. But today, huge news out of Catholic High School right here in Baton Rouge. Shelton Sampson, Jr., five-star wide receiver, homegrown talent, decides to stay home. At LSU, he commits to LSU today in Catholic's gym. He picks LSU over Alabama, who's stolen talent from us. He picks them over Florida State, who we play in the opener, which is kind of funny. He picks us over Texas. That is a huge get because 
if you look at the Louisiana recruits, the top recruits in Louisiana, a month ago, LSU had none of them. None of the top recruits in Louisiana were committed to LSU. And Arch Manning had gone to, had committed to Texas. Derek Williams had committed to Texas. Eli Holstein has been a long-time Alabama commit. Um, and you knew guys like Tackett Curtis and Jaden Arlesbury, two of the better linebackers in the country. LSU wasn't even on their list. So it was looking very bleak. Now, we all know July was huge for LSU on the recruiting trails. Fourth of July weekend, we get five or six commits, four of them on the defensive line. You get Caleb Jackson running back out of Baton Rouge to commit. Um, you have you had great news in Ricky Collins, who was a Purdue commit, uh, top 15 quarterback from Woodlawn. He decommits from Purdue and now is an LSU lean. Um, you get a commitment from – Offensive tackle from New Orleans. Um, out of nowhere, it's like, okay, LSU kind of has not completely put fences up around the state because, yes, you have already lost some of these guys. But part of that is a, a coaching change. You haven't had this coaching staff be on these guys since they were freshmen, like at Arch Manning and a Derek Williams those guys start getting recruited whenever they s- step on campus as a, as a freshman in high school. And when you have coaching turnover, like LSU had, when you had two five and five seasons, you lose some of those guys just because of that. Brian Kelly comes in late, but what is very, very, very promising is guys like Ricky Collins decommitting from Purdue and now LSU's right back in the race. That means that this coaching staff, that means that Brian Kelly is getting these guys to reconsider this staff because they may have been leans when Ed Orgeron was here. When Ed Orgeron gets fired, that's when they start looking other places, and then they kind of put LSU on the back burner. Um, but there's also guys like uh, Jaden Osbury who – Seemed to never even want to go to LSU, which is okay. There's a bunch of people from Louisiana who grow up, go to college, and go out of state because they just they want to see what else is out there. You're not ever going to get all 10, all 15 of the best players in the state to stay here. Some guys are going to leave just because they want to go away from home. But you need to get the majority of them. And now this class is on track to get half of the top 15, top 16 players in the state when a month and a half ago it was looking like you might get two or three. And huge commit in Shelton Sampson, that gives you two of the top 10 wide receivers in the entire country. It gives you Jalen Brown, who committed last month, who was a five-star receiver on some recruiting websites. And now you get Shelton Sampson, both regarded as top ten wide receivers in the class, coming out of high school. Um, Huge gets for, for Brian Kelly. Huge gets for uh, the staff, for this offense, to keep wide receiver you going to start 
putting a fence up around the state. Um, that's huge. And it moves LSU's class up to seventh. Remember, at the end of June, whenever uh, I did the, re- the recruiting update at the end of June, it looked like that LSU was behind Vanderbilt. LSU was ranked like 42nd in the country with like five commits. Now they're up to 18. They're up to 7th in the country. They're like a point behind Oklahoma. So one more commit, you'd be above Oklahoma in, in six. A couple more uh, big com- – because there, there, there's a couple more big guys in Louisiana in top 75 players. Zaylance Hurd, offensive tackle from Monroe. Kylan Jackson, safety out of Zachary, he's committing on Monday, and he's considered to be an LSU lean. Ricky Collins, like I was saying earlier, decommitting from Purdue, now assumed to be an LSU lean. Those are three guys there. It's just going to keep this class moving, uh, moving up. And if you can reel in a few more big fish that maybe are are surprises or get uh, somebody to uh, decommit and commit um, five stars, anything of that nature. This class is looking really good, and I think that this staff has done an amazing job of turning the narrative around because last year you only get 15 commits. You do get a ton of transfers in, but this is more of what Brian Kelly wants. Brian Kelly wants more build from home, build from your recruiting ranks, Um and fill the roster up that way. Now, one of the holes that we do have in this in this class so far is linebacker. Right now, we have Whit Weeks, a uh, three-star linebacker out of Georgia, which he could uh, he, he could have a huge senior season, move up the list. Um, we know of three stars who have done phenomenal. I mean, Justin Jefferson was a two-star. Tyron Matthew was a three-star. So you have guys who you can't always look at their star rankings, but linebacker, unless LSU surprises, it's not looking like they're going to get a bunch of them, which they should be fine. They got Demario Tolan. They got Harold Perkins in last year's class. Highly, highly ranked guys who should contribute on this team. So I think they're in a good position there, but that could be a place that they look in the transfer portal after this year. Moving on to fall camp, first impressions from fall camp. Like I said, it was it, it, it's it's been very vanilla. Uh, media had availability on Thursday. A couple of things that were pointed out was it, it kind of looked like Jaden Daniels was taking the first of the snaps, um, within like Nussmeyer and Brennan, but they were kind of all switching through. There was a no huddle portion of practice where Miles Brennan was uh, taking snaps with what looked like the third string offense and walk on wide receivers. So you could read from that what you want. I know people are like, oh my God, this staff doesn't like Miles Brennan. But I think that this quarterback race is, is wide open. And until you're in week week two, week three of camp, and you have uh, full 11-on-11 parts of practices with pads and throwing in uh, game situations and red zone, and you kind of see more reps being divvied to one quarterback than the other, I feel like that is where you will then find 
who the quarterback is going to be. One thing I did want to talk about was uh, the running backs. You you lose Cavantre Bradford, who is just kind of going to be uh, one of those stories that, well, of one of those kids that, what if? You know, like, what if he didn't transfer to Oklahoma, then transfer back? What if he stayed here and... It's just going to be one of the stories because he's a talented kid. But you look at what we have left. You have uh, John Emery. You have Noah Kane, And uh, you have Armani Goodwin. And those are three. Watching a, a few snippets of practice, it got me thinking. And so I went back and looked at like tape on all these guys. And you now have three very different skill sets and and guys who bring three different things to the table and I think that is great for this team and I think it's going to be very very beneficial and I think the running back position could be a game changer because you know you have one of the best wide receiver rooms in the country you do every single year you know your quarterbacks are you believe whichever quarterback plays is going to be viable offensive lines obviously a question but you look at this running back room, you have John Emery, and he's a hugely talented guy. He's uh, a, a five-star coming in. It's been talked about a lot. He was supposed to be the premier back last year and then wasn't able to play. And Tyron David Price, who was his backup, runs for 1,000 yards. So if John Emery was supposed to play over TDP, and TDP went for 1,000 yards, what could John Emery do? Especially because John Emery is better at catching out the backfield. But watching John Emery, he runs more like a, like a Le'Veon Bell who doesn't, when the ball is snapped, he doesn't just smoke the hole. He gets the ball and he doesn't tiptoe, but he is he's reading the line and he's reading where the hole is going to open up and he's trying to let the offensive line and uh the play develop and then he has a burst he has a bigger burst than the other two on uh in the backfield to to hit the hole and break it and he has breakaway speed John Emery could be your all around your all around back which which we know but John Emery could if he plays up to the potential that we believe he could, be like a, a, a Le'Veon Bell or um, or Christian McCaffrey. Um, I, I actually, kind of he kind of runs like a uh, Alvin Kamara, where it doesn't look like he's running hard, but he runs past people. Noah Kane, he is more of a a, 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 a Tyrion Davis Price. He is a he's not a complete bruiser. He's a little bit of a bruiser, and he. He's a little bit more shifty. He can catch the ball out of the backfield, um, but he is he is more of a power back than John Emery is. And then Armani Goodwin, man, that's about a rocket right there. Uh, I don't know if you remember Trent and Holiday playing, but Trent gets the ball. He's really, really fast. Armani Goodwin gets the ball, and it's 110 miles per hour out of the gate. He's hitting the hole as fast as he can. He's smaller than the other two guys, but – he, that's the type of runner he is where he's getting the ball and 
if it's 26 power, he's going to the six hole at full speed. And once he's through it, he, he's going to see what else is out there. But his initial burst is more than the other two guys. And I think, I think all three of them together can make any play in that 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 you want from 